Hey guys, so welcome back to another episode of Joko Yo, and um, this this episode's gonna be a lot of fun. I've I've, I've enjoyed uh, doing the research on this. I've enjoyed looking up the stuff, and and like a lot of the episodes I've been doing, and uh, this is sixty something at this point, and it it starts small, but then the more you look up stuff, the more that you dig back into your research and your resources, it's like what. Anyway, this is a fun one, and uh, for some of you, it's gonna be it's gonna take you back. The first part is gonna take you back in your childhood because it's exactly what it did to me as I was writing it through. So let's go. In 1982, I was nine years old, and I got to see the following movies in their first runs. And first run means that it's the first time that it's ever appeared in the movies. That means the entire history that has built up around these now iconic movies, and 30 plus years of history has built up around these movies that had not existed prior to 82. The the scenes, the now iconic phrases from these movies, none of that had happened yet. I got to see them fresh at the movies. Just think, in this one year, I was able to go to a movie theater. It, it was uh, sometimes it was Dunn and sometimes it was Smithfield, and and I was able to see in one year, E.T., Tron, which you know you may not know about that one. I do. Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan to me is by far the best one ever. The Dark Crystal, like the the first one. Um, oh, The Secret of Nim. That was, that was kind of cool. All of the movies. That was pretty, that, that was neat. But the next year, if you happen to have a friend that had cable at home, you could catch, well, as long as you didn't get caught, because some of these are not for children's eyes. But, if, but the next year, you could, as long as mom didn't know about it, you could see Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I did, and not really for kids' eyes. Uh, Conan the Barbarian, First Blood, which was the original Rambo movie. Could you imagine life without having the Rambo movies? I mean, good or bad. Friday the 13th Part 3, The Thing. Man, that was terrifying. Poltergeist, also pretty terrifying. I mean, years have, have passed and, and it's sort of been, become a cliche, but, but dude, the first time you saw that, man... Oh, 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy. Again, not for kids. Ice Creep Show. And, yeah, those those are big, too. And there were other movies coming out that same year that I didn't really watch as a nine-year-old boy, but I came to appreciate later. Like An Officer and a Gentleman, Gandhi, Airplane 2 was hilarious. Just think of what those movies brought to our culture. You know what I mean? Like E.T. saying, phone home. Uh, Kirk yelling, Con! Sorry for the impressions. Mr. Hand and Spicoli from Fast Times. Uh, they're here. Uh, Carol Ann in front of the TV screen. Uh, oh, oh, how about uh, Mayo saying, I got nowhere else to go. But you know the one that probably had the most impact on me that year? Actually, the next year, because I saw it on cable. The one that really got my adrenaline pumping. The one that broke my young heart and then rebuilt it by the end of the movie was the one that that had the theme song that to this day could hype somebody up if you if it didn't get so played out and you know the you know what it is it's rocky 3 i mean what's not to love about rocky 3 especially to a young kid i mean it brought 
It brought us Eye of the Tiger, man. Could you imagine never hearing that song before and then hearing it for the first time? I I, I don't have to imagine it because I remember it. Dude, Rocky, Mr. T. Oh, Mr. T was crazy cool. Apollo Creed and y'all, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Rocky Three had Hulk Hogan in it. He played a character named Thunderlips. Oh man, and the one that broke my heart, Mickey's scene right after the Clubber Lang fight, it rips my heart out to this day. Apollo got to rebuild Rocky into as, as much of a clone as you can get of him. But one of the best scenes was early when Stallone's Rocky had an exhibition boxing slash wrestling match with Hulk Hogan's Thunderlips. Rocky thought, you know, it was going to be an exhibition match. You know, the whole wrestling scene, it was really just a show. And he thought he thought it was anyway until he was body slammed. Just this movie. A winner that needed to reinvent himself. A former champion taking him under his wing. Him finding out that wrestling can be very real. And it had a tiger. Now, like a lot of the, well, not the little tiger, you know, the eye of the tiger, but you get my drift. Like a lot of the best fiction, we can see its its roots in real life. And we can see it, <laughs> you guessed it, right here in Johnston County. Let, let, let me get to it. But first, we're going to get, we're going to Nebraska. Turn of the century. See, prairie life was really hard on a young person, especially in the early, say, 1900s, late 1800s. Any person, any person in, the, in that period, hard work, unending, unforgiving labor, it dominated your days there, but it also made you strong. John Pesek's life got even harder out in Nebraska at the turn of the century when a tornado hit his farm, and destroyed his family's house and his barns. This tornado even picked him up and carried him a whole mile or so before dropping him. That's pretty hard life. To add to the experience, his father was bringing back home some lumber after the storm to repair a barn when the cart overturned on him and killed him, leaving young John with the heavy burden of the family farm and a life full of trauma, and of course, as you probably could guess, a lifelong fear of storms. So it was a welcome distraction when the carnival came to town with their animals, their curiosities, and their wrestlers. You see, American wrestling started as a carnival sideshow. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Kind of, it was a carnival sideshow attraction, sort of like the world's smallest horse, the largest Gorilla, the live mermaid at the fair. Yeah, that's sort of where American wrestling got its start. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, so young John Pesek showed up at the carnival, saw their wrestling champion beat somebody else, and John apparently had a lot of anger built up, a lot of frustration, and he decided to get rid of a little bit of that anger, get it out of his system. And so John Pesek walked up to the ring in overalls, barefoot, no shirt, and he challenged a champion in front of everybody. 
Of course, the champion said, no, 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 no. But then the crowd's like, yeah, fine, fine, fine. What was he going to do then? He had to take it. So the champion accepted the match. John jumped in the ring and beat him fairly easily. So um, you can imagine, of course, John, John Pesek, his legend grew. And the man that beat the champion, and he was invited to join. And so he helped he he helped this this carnival to make the wrestling scene bigger and bigger and bigger to where eventually John decided that this does not need to be a carnival sideshow it needs to be a real thing its own real thing he he found it he, he found his calling and he wanted everyone to know about it and so he was able to help move this sport outside of the carnival. He billed himself as the Tiger Man. And and his first standalone match was in 1914. Just wrestling, no carnival. By the late 1930s, his career as a wrestler was over. But he was training future wrestlers. Now, John Pesk is such a big deal in American re- in American wrestling that he was inducted in the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2005. He's the real deal. But of course, time beats everybody. And when he was training future wrestlers at, in in his in his 30s, a new guy walked in asking to be trained. He was about the same size as John, about the same build as John. Sort of country talking like John like John was, and John took a liking to him. He was about well, you know, to, to to John's eyes, he was about he was somebody that he could train, somebody that he he felt an affinity with. This country guy, this country guy that John Pesek took a liking to and took him under his wing, this country guy grew up reading about Jack Dempsey and the life that he lived. Of course, is this 1930s or so. The bright lights, the big city, was a far cry from his small hometown of Princeton, North Carolina. In fact, his family on both sides had been pillars in the Princeton and Boone Hill communities for over a century at least. His father's last name, uh, Massey, shows up in the 1790 census, and, and so does his mother's. Uh, last name Oliver. It shows up there in Boone Hill too. This kid, this guy, wanted a different life, and he was convinced that boxing would take him there. This is all before he met John Pesek. He thought that boxing could take him, just like it took Jack Dempsey to the Bright Lights Big City. Al Massey was strong, and he was fast. And he was also a pretty quick learner. And soon he was winning boxing matches in Goldsboro, Greensboro, Charlotte. He pulled in enough crowds to get top billing. And he finally made the lifestyle that he wanted. Or at least something like it. He boxed the Carolinas circuit for a little bit. And in some of his spare time, he went to other matches to check out potential competition. But soon... Al started hearing about a different kind of competition, not just to him, but to boxing in general. He began to notice that he wasn't pulling in the crowds and the money that he used to. No boxer was. Al was seeing that 
wrestling was taken over some of the some of the box office tickets. Al thought wrestling was really just a gimmick, a sideshow. He didn't know that it actually had been. To 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 Al, he saw he said that, that the wrestlers were too fat, too slow, too out of shape. He didn't get the appeal. He didn't understand it. He was in great top physical condition. Why would you why would you want to go see, as he would say, these these large fat guys flop around a ring whenever you can see someone in top physical condition. Well, so one night he decided to go to a wrestling match to check out that competition just to see what the fuss was. And as he was watching, he began to understand the appeal even less. But what he did understand pretty clearly was the packed house and the audience reaction Well, that was something he hadn't seen in a long time. He knew the times had been changing. Times had changed. So Al picked up his stuff, adopted a new stage name, Maxie Doyle, and headed south for better boxing markets. He he boxed in Florida for a bit, but the wrestling wave followed him there. He boxed in Arkansas, Louisiana, then Texas, only to find that wrestling was taken over there too. He was down to eating one meal a day because that's all he could afford. He wasn't bringing in the tickets anymore. He was living anything but the glamorous life that he thought he could have and that boxing could get for him. He and his dreams were defeated. And it was then that Al Massey walked into John Pesek's training school in Lincoln, Nebraska. Al was soon in the ring after being trained by one of the founders of the modern wrestling movement and What do you know, it wasn't very long, and he was back to where he was, drawing in crowds again in the southeast and earning a living. And and Rachel Lee from Boone Hill decided she was going to marry a wrestler, one of his, somebody he knew when he was a kid. And But eventually, time wins, and Al, just like John, began to lose a step or two, had a couple of injuries, and he began to wrestle less and less, but... He did begin to referee and coach to fill in the gaps. And most importantly to our story, Al Massey began to scout for new talent. He met up with a a, a guy, a wrestling promoter named uh, Jim Crockett, who started something called Jim Crockett Promotions in 1931 and created wrestling, wrestling, a wrestling league like through it, several wrestling leagues through it, like East Coast Wrestling, the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Worldwide Wrestling. JCP, as it became known, eventually added the National Wrestling Alliance and partnered with guys like Ole Anderson, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham, and, and, and Ted Turner. Ted Turner himself found out that televised wrestling brought new audiences to his new cable platform that he he was pioneering, allowing him to make money through increased advertising revenue. Turner eventually bought JCP and formed World Championship Wrestling, and the rest is history. Most wrestlers since the days of Al Massey have been associated one way or another with the WCW or ECW, or its main competitor and eventually eventual purchaser, the WWF or WWE. Seriously, nearly any wrestler that you can name 
Hulk Hogan even, I mean everybody, even Johnston County wrestlers, C.W. Anderson Emit community, uh, Shane Helms from Smithfield, Murray Happer in the southern Johnston area, have worked with the group that Al Massey helped to spread in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I watched wrestling on TV when I was a kid, but I didn't know that several of the best storylines that it had were real ones, and all in the person of Al Massey of Princeton. (laughs) A wrestler, or better yet, a winner needing to reinvent himself, a former champion taking him under his wing, and a tiger. I don't know if Al Massey ever tried to be an, an actor like Stallone, but Stallone tried to be a boxer and a wrestler like Massey. And real life beats fiction every time. And y'all, that was a fun one to do. And uh, hope you enjoyed it. Got more coming. And uh, until next time, guys, be good.